Hello, and welcome to the Clearfort Community Church Podcast. Our hope with this podcast is that you would be encouraged by the weekly teaching from God's Word, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. To learn more about Clearfort Community Church, go to clearfortchurch.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Clearfort Church. Now, let's jump into this week's message. Acts chapter 9 is the conversion of Paul, that Acts chapter 12 is the church at Antioch, and that you would know that Acts 1-8 is the outline of the book, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. That's how the book is laid out because that's how the gospel spread. I pray that you would know the high points of this book. I pray that you would know it, but here, more importantly, and listen to this, I pray that you would learn to live the book of Acts. Not just know it here, just not know the facts of the book, uh, book, the book of Acts, but that you would live this thing out in your life, that you would see that God can use you in the same way that he used Peter, in the same way that he used John, in the same way that he used Paul, these average men, average men and women of the scriptures, and that God can use you in the same way. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can use you in the same way that he used a fisherman named Peter? That he can use you in your workplace to transform and and use you to bring light and peace and joy to the people around you, your family, even this Christmas season. Do you believe him that he can use you as you get together with your extended family that God could use you to show the light and the truth to people around you? I pray that you do because that's why we're here. That's what this is all about. So knowing the book of Acts, but then living out the book of Acts. And it's not about just being good, as we'll look at this morning. So so let's read together Acts chapter 14. I'm going to kind of share some things as we go through Acts chapter 14. And then I've got two points this morning. So Acts chapter 14, if you've got the scripture sheet with, uh, with you, follow along with me. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. So these are Christians, these are believers who, they said every Sabbath, okay, the Sabbath was on Saturday for the Jews. They were good Jews. They went to the the, uh, synagogue on the Sabbath and they were worshiping. And there they were sharing with both Jews and Gentiles. They spoke so effectively there, it says. So they knew their Bible. They knew the Old Testament. God had prepared them and they didn't just go in there haphazardly, right? It says they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. So a great number of the people that heard the gospel for the first time, they said, hey, we believe that. But the Jews, and notice this, who refused to believe. You see, most of the time, belief is not a matter of, hey, I don't understand. I don't really get what you're talking about. I don't understand the gospel. Sometimes it is. And maybe you're here this morning and say, I don't really understand the gospel. So I want to understand it. But usually once someone understands it's a matter of am I willing to submit myself to it or am I going to refuse to believe? And in this case, it was the Jews said, hey, I just refuse to believe that. They stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind. If you don't think there's people coming against the gospel, there are people that come against the gospel and poison the minds of those against the brothers. So the Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. So they stayed there in Iconium for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. There was also a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with the leaders to mistreat them and stone them 
but they found out about it and fled from to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continue to preach the good news. So let's put the, the uh, map up there for a minute. So this is Paul and Barnabas taking their first missionary journey. They're taking this journey together. They go up from Jerusalem. They go up to Antioch. They spent a year in Antioch with the people there. They've invested in them. We looked at that in Acts chapter 12 and 13. They invest their lives with them, stay with them an entire year. They raise up other leaders. And then in Acts chapter 13, it says the the believers said, hey, it's time to send out Paul and Barnabas. So then they begin to go on a missionary journey. So they start on this first missionary journey that we'll be looking at today. So let's continue. In Leicester, there was a set of man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. And then Paul looked directly at him. If you remember, Peter and John did the same thing with a man outside the, the gate called Beautiful. And it says, Paul looked directly at him, and he saw that he had faith to be healed. Now listen, we're not a faith-healing church, but there is something about faith that, that activates what God wants to do in your life. There is something about saying, yes, I believe this. Yes, I trust in what God is saying. Yes, I trust in what God can do in my life. Yes, I'm putting my hope in God, and God acts on our behalf. So it says he saw that he had the faith to believe. There's something about faith there. And he called out, stand up on your feet. At that, a man jumped up. The man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul... Uh, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes. So you can imagine, they just tear their clothes and say, no. They rushed out into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you you should turn away from these worthless, these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet as he had not left himself without testimony, he has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews that came from Antioch and Iconia had won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him out. So they go from making him a god to saying, oh, maybe he's not a god. We'll stone him to death. So they dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Why do you think there was such a, such a visceral response to what Paul and Barnabas were saying? It wasn't like they heard the message and they went out to Blaze Pizza and they were talking over lunch. Hey, what'd you think about that message from Paul this morning? Well, he could have been a little stronger on point number two, but overall it wasn't a bad message. The illustrations were good. We loved it. What do you think? No, when they heard the message, some of them said, hey, we believe this. And it changed their life. It transformed everything about them. They gave their lives over to it and they were never the same again, right? On the other side of the spectrum, some said, no way. 
We're not listening to that. We're not hearing that. We refuse to believe that. And they are uh, actively pursuing Paul and Barnabas. In fact, they follow them around to turn people away from the message. So there must be something about this message. You're going, hmm, that's a pretty powerful message to get that kind of response, either for the gospel or against the gospel, right? So we're going to look at what is this message? Why, why was there such this visceral response to the message? And so I want to pray, and we're going to, we're going to jump in. So let's pray. And I want you to pray this morning that, that we would live out the book of Acts. Would you make that your prayer? So let's pray together. So God, we come before you, and uh, we just want to prepare our hearts to hear the message, that the message would hit us in the same way that it hit the early church, and that we would respond, hopefully positively, that it would change our lives. We give you this time. We ask you in Jesus' name. So Les Miserables, if you've seen or you've read the book or you've seen the Broadway play or you've seen the multiple movies that have come out, you know the message of Les Mis is that Jean Valjean gets out of prison, out of hard labor, 19 years for stealing bread. And he gets out and he either has to choose that he's going to go one way of lawlessness or the other way that he was going to accept the grace of God. He lives out of the grace of God. He begins, his life is transformed. But the rest of the movie, Inspector Javert is hunting him down. And the, the whole movie is about the relationship between grace and the law, between legalism and forgiveness and grace and how those two things work together. And that is the message that Paul and Barnabas are preaching. So I've got two Two uh, points this morning. Living for the freedom of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas were living for and living in the freedom of the gospel. They were living that out in their lives and they were telling other people about it because it was too good to keep to themselves. And they were living for the glory of God. That's what they were doing. That's why they were so joyful. They were living for the freedom of the gospel. So I want to help us understand what is the gospel. So the first thing that the gospel does is it frees us from the law. You say, hold on a minute, it frees us from the law. How does the gospel, how does a relationship with God, how does that free us from the law? And what is the law, right? So the law would be the, the Old Testament, the, the laws that God gave to the Israelite people. But basically, you could say they were summed up in the Ten Commandments. So let me read those for us. You shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image. You shouldn't have idols. You shouldn't have idols in your life that you worship above me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And that's not just saying GD. That's saying using his name to bolster your, your uh, people's opinion of you and using his name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. So as I read through those uh, Ten Commandments and you're going, hey, if you really think about those, man, I, I shall not have any other gods before him. Man, I put a lot of things before God. A lot of the times there's other things in my life that take first place in, in my life and so I do have other gods before him. 
I don't have carved images. I don't have little idols sitting around my house. But there are certainly things that I value sometimes more than my relationship with God. So that's number two. Shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I've done that one. Have I broken the Sabbath? Have I just said, hey, it's just another day. Forget it. Don't worry about it. I'm not keeping it holy. Have I dishonored my father and mother? Certainly I did that so many times growing up. You shall not murder. No, I haven't really murdered anybody, but Jesus says if you have hatred in your heart towards a brother, then that's the same as murder. You murdered someone in your heart. Have I done that? I've done that too. Adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. And you go, man, and you go, God's, God's standard in all of those things is perfection. Not just, I don't do it much. I only do it every once in a while. I only commit adultery every once in a while. I only do these things every so often, right? No, his standard is perfection. And so you go, man, I'm in real trouble. So what are you saying the gospel sets us free from the law? What is this law? So read with me in chapter 8 of Romans. If you really want to understand what Paul is preaching when he goes into these synagogues, we're just reading the historical uh, narrative of what happened when he went to the synagogue. But here's the message that he's preaching is Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8. That's what he's going into everywhere he goes. He's sharing this message. In Romans 8 it says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as I read that list, you're thinking, man, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. And there's a sense of condemnation. And Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, because our flesh can't keep the law, God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be our sin offering. It's what we sang about. It's what Jesus did. He came in the form of human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He did not commit any of these sins. He kept the law to the T and then gave his life on your behalf to set you free from the law that he would pay the penalty for you and in your stead, right? So God sent by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. So when we accept Christ, the righteous requirements of the law are now fully met in us because Christ did it on our behalf. Do you know that's the gospel? Do you know that's the good news? Do you know what that's? The whole Christian faith is what we're talking about right here. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but now we're living according to the Spirit. And look with me in Romans 6. It's also on your sheet there. Romans 6, 14 and 15. For sin will not have any dominion over you. Or one translation, sin shall not be your master. It's not going to be your master because you're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. You're no longer under the law, so it can't condemn you. It can't be your master. The law is no longer your master. So you're saying, hey, I don't understand that. Well, there is some debate now about who the greatest NBA player ever is, right? There's some debate. Is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James? And it kind of depends on which era you grew up in. But because I'm preaching, the GOAT, Michael Jordan, right, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. 
And, and you know, when was the last time you think that uh, Michael Jordan read the rules of basketball? When do you think he, he took out his book and every, every season before it all started, he reads the, the, this about basketball. The player must bounce or dribble the ball with one hand while moving both feet. Hmm. The basketball player can only take one turn at dribbling. Once a player has stopped dribbling, they cannot start another dribble. Michael Jordan, who? Wow, I didn't know that. The ball must stay inbounds. If the offensive team loses the ball out of bounds, the other team gets control of the basketball. Do you think Michael Jordan sits down before every season and reads through all the rules of basketball and says, I think I can do it again this year. I think I can make it happen. No, because Michael Jordan has already got all of that. It's built into him. He knows the game of basketball. He knows how often he can dribble. He knows how to dribble on top of the ball. He knows he can take two steps and slam it over every defender. He knows all of that because it's built into him by now. It's living in him. And so he doesn't have to think about the rules. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. That's exactly what Paul is saying, is that you're set free from the rules to actually obey the rules. You see, Michael Jordan, he's, he's not ruled by the rules. He's not ruled by the rules because he knows the rules and he's got something within him that, that just obeys the rules by nature. So let's take, this, let's take this illustration one step further. What if you can't play basketball at all? I'm, I'm not a great basketball player. But what if I could ask Michael Jordan into my heart? And I could say, Michael Jordan, can you live through me? Can you play basketball through me? There's a lot of kids' movies that kind of have this as the theme, right? And so the kid all of a sudden has LeBron or has some great basketball player living their life, their best life through them, and now I can play basketball like Michael Jordan. In a sense, that's what we're talking about. The gospel is saying, I cannot do that in my weakened flesh because of my sinful nature that I inherited and also participate in, my nature is not able to keep the commandments of God. And God knew that. You see, the law is only like a mirror. Uh, the law simply shows us that we can't actually fulfill it. The law doesn't help us in any way. It, it actually condemns us in ways. And so the, uh, Paul says, hey, the law is good, but all it does is reveal that you can't keep it. And so you look in the mirror, and I look in the mirror in the morning, I say, oof, right? And that mirror can't do anything for me. All it can do is go, mm, back, right? And, and uh, so it can't make any changes for me. And that's exactly what Paul is saying about the law. The law simply says, hey, you are a liar. You have stolen, you are selfish, you, you, all of these things, and it just reveals that. And so you come to church and you say, I didn't need to come to church to hear that, right? I already knew those things. So people don't come to church to hear how bad they are. They come to church to go, what can I do about this? And that's where you and I have the greatest news in the history of the world to say, we have the good news that in Jesus, Jesus, when you ask him into your heart, however you want to say the different metaphors, ask him into your life and say, God, I need you to live your life through me. I believe what Jesus did on the cross, his death, his burial, and now his resurrection. I believe that. I put faith in that. I'm asking Christ into my life. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God changes your heart. 
and gives you new life. And he literally makes you right with God from that very moment you have a right relationship with God and his righteousness is now your righteousness. And then he gives you a new heart and no, you're not perfect in how you execute on it. But you know what? The things you used to be able to do, you can't do them anymore, can you? Without some conviction, without this sense of, no, I don't want to go that way. My heart is saying, I don't want to go that way. He gives you a new heart. And now you begin to go in a whole new direction because you understand the gospel. And the gospel sets you free from the law. Isn't that good news? Is that good news? That's good news, guys. Listen, that is how we live out the gospel in our lives. So you see, the, he lives by the rules, but he's not ruled by the rules. Michael Jordan. In the same way, rules do not need to be your master. You'll never become a great basketball player. You'll never be, uh, become a great ballet dancer, a gymnast, or even a Christian by focusing your attention on the rules. If, it, if your Christian life is all about rules and just what you can and can't do, if you're focused on that, you will never be able to complete it. You'll never be able to do it. But when you focus on Christ, who is now living in you, and he is your hope, then he begins to live again that life through you. And that's the good news. Religious rules are kind of like the referee in basketball, right? Tim Donahue, I think is how you pronounce his last name, was a referee that was betting on the games. He was a referee in the NBA. He was betting on the same games that he was a referee in. And he is blowing the whistle all the time against the team he doesn't want to win. He has control of the game, right? And so when Paul and Barnabas are going into the synagogues and they're preaching, you can be free from the law. The law doesn't have to be your master anymore. Man, those, some of those Jews, that they had kind of worked the system. They knew how to use the system. They, they were using the system to have power over other people, and they're blowing the whistle all the time, and they can control other people. And when Paul and Barnabas go in and say, you're being set free from the, the law, they're going, hey, he's blowing our deal here. He's letting people know they, that we can't control them with the law anymore. Hey, we've got to stop this. And that's why there was such a visceral response against the gospel. Because if you use religion to control others and people are coming in to say, no, no, you can be set free. Blows the deal, doesn't it? So you're set free from the law. But second, you're set free from lawlessness. You're set free from lawlessness. So, you know, again, you, you would think that people, uh, Paul says to himself, so are you going to use the grace of God and say, hey, now I'm set free from the law so I can go do whatever I want to do. No, 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 you don't get what he's saying here. When you're set free from lawlessness, now your heart is that you desire to actually fulfill the law. You desire to live with him. Can you imagine a basketball game with no rules? Man, it'd be chaos. One guy just says, hey, I'm going to carry the ball down the court. Another guy says, no, you got to dribble. Somebody says, hey, you get two points for just hitting the net. No, you don't get two points for hitting the net. you got to go in the net. And, and then these teams are playing. One has eight people and one has five people. That's not fair, guys. We can't do that. That doesn't make Eventually, you say, forget it. You guys have the game. Right? You see, that's where a lot of young people are right now in our nation. They're going, man, there's no rules. This thing's off the rails. This thing's off the hook. This thing is crazy. The world is crazy out there. And so, man, you guys just take it. I don't care anymore. 
Why? Because there's no guidelines. There's no guardrails. There's, there's nothing guiding our lives any longer, and people feel discombobulated. Do you feel that? Even if you're a believer, you kind of feel it because there's no longer any guidelines in our, in our world today because we pushed away from God and said, hey, God, you take your rules and we don't want your rules anymore. We don't want you to rule in our lives. We don't want any of that. And so everything is off the rails and we feel it. The good news is the gospel sets you free from lawlessness. And now you begin to go, hey, here are the rules of the game. Even if you sit down over Thanksgiving or Christmas and you play a board game, first thing you do is you read through the rules and then you go, hey, this is how we play the game, right? And then the Spirit of God gives you, again, the ability to play the game as the rules are laid out. And then it becomes life becomes joyful, life becomes meaningful. Even in the heartache and the pain, there's still meaning because we have a hope beyond this world. The gospel sets you free from the law. The gospel sets you free from lawlessness. And the next thing is that the, the gospel sets you free from hopelessness. Look with me in, in the middle here. In Elisha, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth. Okay, it just said in previous verses that, that God gave them, them the ability to heal people so that that would support the gospel. And I just want to make a side note here. In, in, in preaching in churches, um, when healing becomes the show and the thing, it's out of order. When preaching and the gospel is the thing and then God does some things along the way to support that, that's how the gospel is laid out. And so it says, he gave them the grace, enabled them, this is in verse 3, gave them the grace and enabled them to do miraculous signs and wonders. So then they go into Lystra and they see a man who's crippled and he's crippled from birth. And I think that's uh, important to note. That happens a lot in the book of Acts, and it makes, makes the point he was either crippled from birth, or he was lame from birth, or he was uh, blind from birth. And I think from birth is really important because what he's saying here is just like you and I inherit our sinful nature, we really have been crippled from birth, right? From, very early, from, from birth, we inherited the sinful nature, and we have it in us, and we can't do anything about it. Just like this crippled man, he was lame from birth and could not do anything about it. He was helpless. He was hopeless. He didn't know. He, can you imagine in that world, they didn't have wheelchairs, right? They didn't have ADA. I have a brother who's in a wheelchair. I can't imagine him trying to get around in a world that wasn't even uh, conducive for him. Back in that day, man, you just, you couldn't walk. You, you had to depend on a friend to pick you up and carry you somewhere. Everywhere you went, someone's carrying you. Someone's attending to you. Someone has to be there. He was hopeless and helpless. And it says, when he looked at Paul and Paul looked at him, Paul saw something in him and said, this man has the faith to, to be healed. And he tells him, stand up and walk. And from that very moment, he stood up and walked and, and his hope was restored. I hope in, in a room this size, there's, there's got to be people in here that are, are at the end, the end of the rope, right? They're saying, I just, I, I, I'm hopeless. I'm helpless to change my situation. The doctors have said this, or the doctors have said that, and, and I'm hopeless to change my situation. I want to ask you, don't lose faith in that. Don't lose faith in God, right? Continue to trust Him, continue to pursue Him, continue to trust that He has a plan for your life. And guess what? You know what? Even in eternity, 
You and I sit here, if you put your faith in Christ, you believe that there is something beyond this life, right? You believe that. Can you imagine if you don't believe that? And you say, this is, this is life. For those who don't know Christ, this is, this is as good as it gets. This life right here, like this is as good as it gets. Well, man, that's kind of hopeless and helpless. I mean, I, I feel hopeless in that. I mean, this is as good as it gets. But you know what? For believers, those who put their faith in Christ and we say, hey, this is as bad as it gets. This world that we're living in right now, which is not, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of brokenness, but this is as bad as it gets for us. There's hope in that, isn't there? This week I spent uh, some time with Pat and Harold Muckeroy. Uh, I think it was Friday morning. I went over to their home with a friend of ours. Zach Muckeroy. Uh, and his family were on their way to Thanksgiving, going down to Austin or out, right outside of Austin. A drunk driver came across the median, hit them head on. Zach and his two children were killed. And Lauren is fighting for her life. And I, I'm sitting there with their dad. What do what, what I say to parents that just lost their, their, uh, their son and two grand, beautiful grandchildren? What hope do we have in this world, Right? But you know, later I sent out a little, little email to a group that we work with, business people, Dave and I work with, and I uh, sent out an email just announcing that this happened. And Harold Muckeroy was on that list. He just, he's a part of a huge email group that we have, and I sent that out, and he was on the list. He's sitting in the hospital waiting for his daughter-in-law's surgery to come back, and he writes back to me. And he says, I can't wait to see them again. I don't know where... His faith is, but he believes, he knows that he's going to see his son and his two grandchildren again now in the midst of a horrible situation that none of us would ever wish on anyone. And it actually even scares us to even think about it, right? We still have hope. He's still able to write, I can't wait to see them again. The gospel sets us free from hopelessness in this world. Not that our world, that, that our hope is in this world. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is beyond this world. And it sets us free from hopelessness. The last thing is it sets us free from idolatry. Look with me in verses 15 and 16. So this is interesting. Um, Paul and Barnabas go in. They, they, after they healed this man, they are worshipped. When they, the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard of this, they tore their clothes. When they, they go in, they call them Zeus and Hermes, and they tear their clothes, and they say in verse 15, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn away from these worthless things, these idols that you've put up, the superstition that you're living with, all of these, these stories and these fairy tales that you're living under. Put those things away and live for the living God. You see, the gospel sets us free from putting our hope in superstition. If you ever played basketball or played some kind of sport, there's all kind of little superstitions, right? Little things like, hey, you can't step on the, the, the chalk in baseball. If you step on the chalk, you're, you're, you're cursed. It's not going to go well for you. If you do certain things, you know, people live by these things. And some people, it's kind of a joke and it's, you know, it's no big deal. Some other people, man, they live by it. They have little, little uh, rabbit's foot. They have little things they have to rub on. They live with these superstitions in life that, man, you, you, they're just having hope in something that's worthless. You know, the, the gospel sets us free from living like that, 
like living based on some kind of superstition or idolatry. And it actually removes, when we really understand the gospel, it removes idols even from our lives because we put other things in place of God all the time, don't we? We put our money in place of God, like I'm putting my hope in my money, man. If that money goes away, what am I going to do? And then we get all worked up. If money goes away, we put our hope in our job and we make our job an idol. And, and what happens if I lose my job? I, and it sets us free from all of that. The gospel sets us free. So the gospel sets us free from the law. The gospel sets us free from lawlessness. The gospel sets us free from hopelessness. The gospel sets us free from idolatry. Just as a, a side note here, there was a tradition in Lystra, and this is why they came out to worship Paul and Barnabas, that it was uh, supported by the Roman poet Ovid who lived in AD 17. So just 20 to 30, probably 30 years before this incident happens in Lystra, uh, it was written about by the poet Ovid that the gods of Zeus and Hermes once came down to earth incognito. So these gods came down incognito. Isn't this interesting? Philemon and his wife, however, they, they saw these, these, uh, these incognito, these, these gods that had come down incognito. They had gone to thousands of homes asking for people to take them in and no one would take them in. And so this, this couple, Philemon and his wife, take Zeus and Hermes in. And for that... Their cottage is now turned into a magnificent temple where they served as priest and priestess. And after they died, they were turned into stately trees that were outside this temple. So this is why when they go into Lystra and they're saying, hey, it's Zeus and Hermes again. Let's don't miss them this time. Let's come out and worship them. Let's come out and sacrifice to them so that they will respond to us. So just as a side note, they were free when they really understood the gospel, they're free from those kind of superstitions. The last thing, and the, the second point really is, and it's be a quick one here, is that they were not only living for the freedom of the gospel, they were living for the glory of God. They were living for God's glory and not their own glory. I want you to see a few verses here. I want to read these and then we'll talk about them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink... Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whether you're going to work or you're working this job or that job or whether you're doing this or that, do it all for the glory of God. If you can sing like JT, praise God. Use it to the glory of God. If you can administrate, if you're an administrator, if you're a person that can put things in order and see from A to Z, then put it into play for the glory of God. If you're a leader, then lead because God needs, God is using leaders. Whatever you do, do it all for God's glory, not for your own glory, but say, hey, whatever I have, it's God's. It's for him. The next one says, not to us, O Lord, this is in Psalm, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And then Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. And so we live to the glory of God. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas, when they come out to worship them, would there be somebody in here that would be tempted to go, hey, yeah, thanks guys. Appreciate that. Man, if you want to sacrifice, go ahead, bring that, uh, bring that before you. No, we wouldn't want, we wouldn't, we wouldn't actively pursue that. But a lot of times we want people to worship us, don't we? 
And as a side note, again, I think that's what's wrong with the American church today. There's too many pastors that want the cult of personality, and there's too many parishioners that want the cult of personality. They want some, we want someone to worship. We want someone to lift up. That's why concerts and movie stars and all of these things that are beyond us, we kind of want something to look up to and, and be awestruck by. Because it's built into our DNA that we want to worship something and in, in, when we don't have the right thing to worship and we're not worshiping, we're not living our lives to the glory of God, we're going to find something else to worship, right? We just do that. And see, the gospel sets you free from all that. And now Paul and Barnabas are saying, hey, they rip their clothes. They don't, they don't kind of respond to this, hey, guys, no, no, that's not, don't, don't do that. Kind of, no, let's take that over to the side. No, they, they rip their clothes and they say, no, don't do this. We're, we're trying to point you to the living God. Don't worship us because we're just human, just like you. And I pray that any church, any place that you go, that a pastor, a leader says, hey, I'm human just like you. I need the gospel just like you. I need saving just like you. I may be leading, but I need the gospel just like you. Jean Valjean once he experienced the grace of God, now the priest didn't save him, but he, he demonstrated the grace of God to him. And as he understood the grace of God, responded to the grace of God, it transformed him. And he began to live his life for the freedom of the gospel and for the glory of God. That would be my prayer for us as we close. Let's pray together. So would you make that your prayer this morning? God, I, I want to live... I want to live in the freedom of the gospel. I really want to understand the gospel and, and grow in my understanding of the gospel so I can live in that freedom, in that good news that I'm set free from the law and that you will live your life through me. Would you just make that your prayer this morning? And then secondly, would you just pray, God, would you use my life for your glory, not for my glory, that you'd be able to truly pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, praised, and lifted up be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, not my will, but your will be done, you be glorified, you be lifted up. Would you just pray that right now? Jealousy and envy and all of those things come because we're jealous of someone else who's stealing our glory. But if you're living for the glory of God, all of that goes away. So just give it all to him. Live for his glory. It's for him anyway. So you don't have to protect it. So God, we pray. We pray that Clearfort Community Church, and now let's pray together as a, as a body of believers, we pray that Clearfort Community Church would be a place where your name is glorified and that we live in the freedom of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Clearfort Community Church podcast. For more information about our church, head to clearfortchurch.org. Take heart, Fort Worth. He has overcome the world. We hope to see you soon.